0: Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon. And in today's episode, we're talking with my good friend and client, Patrick Stroth. And I'm really excited to talk with Patrick today because he is involved in a very niche insurance product and it is a really important tool for entrepreneurs to know about. Uh, What Patrick really specializes in is empowering the sellers of companies. So if you've ever thought that at some point you're going to grow your business to the point that you want to sell it and you want to have that big payday, you're going to want to listen to this um, because Patrick will show you how you can secure a very clean exit From the sale of your business and liberate all of the cash or virtually all of it uh, without having to go through any kind of lengthy escrow. And if you aren't familiar with the way a business sale works, most of the time whoever you sell to uh, is going to take your baby and then they're going to say, "This is great. Here's a big pile of money." But you know we're going to hold a big chunk of that back for two or three or four years just in case something goes wrong. And Patrick's got a very unique way of liberating all that cash and and avoiding you having to deal with escrow for the most part um, so that you get a bigger payday and you get it happening actually when you close the deal, not years and years later when the escrow clears. And so I'm super excited to uh, have Patrick here. He is the champion of the clean exit. Uh, Patrick Stroth, welcome to the Unstoppable CEO podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Steve. It's great to be here.
0: So I, I know you're really focused on, um, on working with entrepreneurs as they're approaching the exit of their business, but, but before we get to that, I'd really like to know how you got started in business.
1: Uh, I got into the insurance gig pretty much as my first office job getting out of college. And the aspect of the business I like, first of all, it was uh, in terms of job security, insurance has been around for hundreds of years, so it wasn't going to go away. It's a diverse enough industry that, you know, there, there were a lot of areas you can go into, so I thought we'd, we'd give that a shot. But the most appealing part of being an insurance broker is that you have control of your own destiny. Uh, financially, you can make as much as you want. That's the argument or, you know, the, what they put out there to a lot of us is that if you want to make more, you just work more. If you want to make less, you work less. And uh, a lot of us wanted the freedom to be able to make as much as we would need when we needed it. So this was, this was the way to go. Um, I went from working from a small mom and pop insurance agency that did home and auto insurance to one of the uh, third largest uh, insurance brokerages in, in the country. And, you know, there are pluses and minuses going from a, a tiny shop to a large institution And finally, I found my fit kind of in the middle where rather than doing um, a number of multiple, you know, offerings for a business, ensuring their workers comp and building an auto. And so I focused on just having a niche where I would be a specialist in a particular type of product, a policy. And you know, I, I did that for several years with a firm and I got to a point where I wanted to be partner in the firm. And they said, well, in order for you to do that, you have to do X, Y, Z, you know? And I was like, what's the difference between doing that? Cause I had to take on all the risk, uh, and I had to give a significant portion of my earnings to the owner of the shop. And I thought, well, how is it different from opening my own shop? And once I had that thought, you know, that light went off in my head and you could not talk me out of going out and at least trying my own business. And so I formed, um, an insurance brokerage called Rubicon insurance in 2000. And I've been working, uh, as a broker ever since. And it was different in, in the insurance brokerage community is, um, we are the liaison between a policyholder and the insurance company. Insurance companies don't have the resources to come out and see all policyholders, so they rely on us. So, we are the uh, we're the, the stewards out there that represent uh, business owners and get them get them solution to a particular coverage need that they have. So I've got a, a narrow area there. That's where I got into it, and then you know you get your ups and downs with everything else. But I keep saying that you know people would kill to have my problems.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, for all of us, uh, we all, we all have first world problems, but, uh, you know, so you said you started in 2000, it's now 2017. So you've been doing this for 17 years. Congratulations first, because that, that accomplishment in and of itself is, is a significant one. Uh, most businesses don't make it that long and to make it all that time. I, I know for a fact that you 've had to slog through some some challenges you 've had to deal with roadblocks and obstacles and i 'd really like to spend a few minutes and and learn from you what are the uh, the different approaches that you found most effective when uh, a barrier presents itself to to make it through how do you how do you approach that How do you get through them
1: well first, you just have to have uh, a little bit of a mental toughness where, cause you're always going to find those, those points of, um, lack of confidence and fear. And what propelled me forward was I always kept saying to myself, well, where else am I going to go from here? I'm going to have to go back and work for somebody else. So that's not an option. So as bad as things are, let's just move forward. I think that where I've, uh, really tried to, um, you know sustain myself is that you you just keep finding something else to keep you occupied there's always somebody else you can call there's always somebody else that needs to be spoken to and there's always somebody out there that needs what you have you just have to find them and so it's that kind of you know i i was for a lot of years just going with some that kind of blind faith that things are going to get better and you know try to find a product or some way that you can add value uh the, dip, the very difficult question that you have to keep asking yourself is one that you would fear hearing from a prospective client. Is well, I can go over to that other person down the street. Why should I go to you? You know, wh- why you? If you can't answer that, then there's no reason why they should go to you. And so what you have to do is you know look at yourself, look at what you're offering, look at how you approach it, find a way. That if you think about it long enough, you're going to find more than one reason why what you're offering is better than the guy down the street. And if you can make that part of your identity, really sear that in, that gives you the optimism and the faith in yourself and your abilities, because that's what you really have to rely on is if you have that faith and belief in yourself, you will convey that to others. And a lot of times they're asking, and if you have a question ready or a response ready to that question, you know, that kind of, they get mentally just looking, okay, all right, well then, okay, I'll go with you. It, it, it's amazing how that happens. And so that was in my early years, how, how we got through where we were making enough money to pay bills. Uh, the challenge becomes not survival. The challenge after a couple of years is, okay, now how do you grow? And that's always been a challenge of you know, finding new clients, uh, the thing that we all are are, are dealing with. And you know, that's been an ongoing uh effort for me is to identify where the clients are and then once you have you've identified them which is a huge challenge okay now how are you going to meet them how are you going to persuade them how are you going to get them engaged so that they can ask okay well, why you and you get that opportunity and that's been the big project that we've been working on uh lately i think the uh the one big lesson I had in the last couple of years is that the old approach of cold calling or, you know, blindly going out and putting yourself on the marketplace. I mean, if, if you've got no other way of doing it, that's how we've all done it in the past. And it's uncomfortable and it's tough. Um, it's also not very effective. And the big breakthrough I came came away with uh, in the last couple of years is that, you um, rather than being an unknown, trying to go out there and, and, and introduce myself is find a way to get introduced uh, and get, you know, how can I establish ways to have a, an introduction to a target audience and um, in, in insurance, in a lot of businesses uh, you, you hear a lot of these very successful people say, well, I, I, I get referrals. Like most of my business comes from referrals and the next question would be, okay, well, how do you do that? And they don't really have a good answer for that. And so the last couple of years, that's what I've been trying to do is figure out a way that we can get referrals where we get introductions to ideal clients that will then go ahead and have a much warmer reception and a, a much easier conversion rate than just going out you know, blindly to the public. Because if, if they don't know you, then it's that much harder, is so that much more of a challenge to to begin establishing yourself with them, where they can actually do business and actually pay you, you know, four or five, six figures, um, you know, and and so the the big lesson that I've learned and where we're crafting our approach business wise for gaining and gaining new clients is. Uh, figure out how to facilitate these introductions. And then when you get the introduction, how do we go ahead and convey what we do without coming off as a salesman? And that's been, that's been the big challenge and that's what we've been doing recently. And it's encouraging to see as you go from fits and starts, how you how you try to do this process. It's encouraging to see that over months and months we're beginning to reap uh, returns from from our efforts
0: yeah it 's been it 's been fun to watch and and you are uh, you are starting to see that momentum build which is that 's always exciting. You mentioned a couple of words that I think are important. you mentioned confidence and you, and, and you you mentioned the word fear and it 's really interesting the the interplay that you find between those two uh, between those two words, between the two emotions, really. Um, you know, because we all hit these points where something's not going the way that we want it to. And we really need to get a result, like, cause we need to put food on the table or, or, you know, we got to make payroll or we got to jump to that next level. Right. And it's really easy to let that, that fear kind of creep in. And it's, it's almost as though confidence is the antidote to it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you, you said something, um, important that, you know, as you feel that fear creeping in, you, you would just keep moving forward and, and, you know, trying to reach out to the next person that might need your help. And I, I always think that it's that forward motion that really is the thing that takes that fear and transforms it into confidence because you can't be fearful and confident at the same time. I don't think. Uh, I, I think if you take that fear and you get into action and you have even a small victory that kind of creates that confidence and now it all of a sudden starts to erase the fear. And um, you know, when it comes right down to it, that's the battle we're all fight, fighting all the time as we lead our our business.
1: Yeah, I think, I think the, one of the issues that came in, it, I, again, this is just growing over time is just having peace of mind. Uh, as I'm going forward doing the steps that I've been doing the last two years I'm not going to close a six-figure deal with this first meeting Okay, so get comfortable with the fact that this is a process If you want to get an introduction, particularly if you're doing, you know, high ticket uh, transactions as, as, as my firm does Okay that's not going to close in the first meeting. So when you realize you don't have to win somebody over, you're not going to marry somebody on, on the first date. So there's no pressure there. All you have to do is just you know, know what you know in your area. You don't have to know what everybody else knows. That was the other big moment for me where um, if, if I'm involved in uh, mergers and acquisitions transactions, I don't know all the legal ins and outs, I don't know all the financial ins and outs that go into you know, a merger or acquisition happening. Well, that's okay, I don't have to. The lawyers have to know that, the bankers have to know that, I don't have to know more about their business than they do, okay? I just need to know about the insurance side. And once I realized that, that I didn't have to be an attorney or a financier or an MBA, all of a sudden there was a lot less pressure. And the other thing that happened for me, and you've got to do the research if you're going to go into something, one of the ways to overcome fear is, you know, make yourself as knowledgeable about as comfortable and as knowledgeable as you can about that narrow little subject. Okay. Uh, A very wise person once told me, you don't need to know hundred percent of anything. There's this critical 10% of information that you've got to have down cold because 90% of the questions you get about a subject are gonna deal with that critical 10%. You can over time expand that 10% to 20 to 30 to 40, but you gotta know that 10%. And so I departed uh, you know, three years ago away from one practice within my insurance firm into a new practice uh, because it there wasn't a lot of competition there. And uh, there was a big knowledge gap in order to, to get into that market. And as I was reading, you know, information about this this area, which is insuring mergers and acquisitions transactions, <laughs> article after article after article, paper after paper that I was getting from the greatest minds, the legal minds and the insurance minds, they all covered the same about five or six points over and over and over. And, you know, finally it got through to me that, hey, if I know these five or six points, because they're all mentioning it, you I sound as smart as they do. And that gave me the confidence then to go forward where, and, and this is a real big leap of faith for you, but if you know those key five or six items, if there was something else out there superfluously that I didn't know, I wasn't going to worry because I would just say, oh, well, that's not as important for me. That may be on some specific thing out there, but I know these five or six things cold. And then you can at least have conversations with other people and, and you're fine. That that's a really big help. The other big help is setting real manageable milestones uh, where if if you're going to go out, I'm going to have this call and not close a deal. I'm just going to have this. I just want a favorable call that the person will recognize me later. You know, if I asked him to uh, uh, send a LinkedIn uh, connection, you know, can I send you that? Yeah, sure. Okay. Hey, I got that connection. You have to close the deal four months from now. I'll be doing a presentation in front of his firm. But today, all I want to do is just get that LinkedIn invitation. Or, you know, if he says, yeah, send me something, I get his email address. Uh, There there are some people that I deal with in the mergers and acquisitions world, particularly uh, private equity firms. They don't publish or they don't release their contact information. They don't want to get bothered by salesmen. So if you're talking to one of them, you say, can I send you something? Oh, here's my card. Here's my email address that that's a step forward and you just keep those little steps forward. You keep moving the ball forward and those little wins add up to big wins. And, and that, that's a real, uh, significant way to move forward while other people, you know, will allow themselves to get mired in, um, in failure.
0: Uh, Yeah. And I think that's, that's great advice on both points. I mean, the, the shortcut you just shared to uh, to really how to go into an area and learn anything, that's probably worth the price of admission today um, in and of itself. But um, but really understanding, especially in larger sales, and we've got some folks that listen that, that are trying to make those five-figure, six-figure, even seven-figure sales, that doesn't happen. I mean, I've done them in the past. It, it doesn't happen in a meeting typically. Um, if it does, you know, go throw a party, it's wonderful. But most of the time – there's a process and, and it often takes a, a fairly long amount of time, but being able to gauge whether you're winning in that process or not it, along the way is I think really important. Um, and so being able to break things down into those milestones is, is great advice. Uh, we're going to be right back. I want you to, to stay tuned, but we're going to be right back with Patrick and uh, he's going to talk a little bit more about this issue of liberating cash at the sale of your business. And if you're at all ever thinking about selling your business at any point in the future, you're going to want to listen to this um, because it's going to give you some information that you're probably not going to hear anywhere else. So hang on for a second. We'll be right back with Patrick Stroth. You can find instructions there and links that will take you right to where you need to go to review the podcast. Thanks so much. Now back to the interview. All right, we're back with Patrick Stroth. And uh, Patrick, uh, you've shared just some really fantastic wisdom so far. And I really want to Dive into what you're doing for entrepreneurs now who are at uh, at the happy stage of the business where they're they're having a a, a cash out event and uh, the work you're doing with um, with mergers and acquisitions and ensuring those transactions um, I think is pretty unique and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about about what you're doing and and some of the kind of hidden advantages that entrepreneurs can can get from uh, what you're doing, because I think a lot of people go through the, the, the sale of their business without ever knowing this information.
1: Great. Well, um, appreciate that. The What gets me excited about insurance and being an insurance broker, I mean, I, I get it. A lot of people don't like insurance because it's a product that is intangible and you really hope you never have to use it. And Uh, For most business owners, the only reason why they buy the types of insurance they buy is they're required by law to do it. Uh, I stumbled across a a program for a client of mine that uh, is what I consider a a life-changing type program uh, vehicle because it takes away risk and enables uh, business owners who are my heroes because business owners create something from nothing. In, in most cases, uh, a way that they can uh, essentially hit the mountaintop and, and exit their their company richer than they thought before. And I, I thought that was, uh, if I was able to do something like that, that, that was of keen interest. Um, when you sell your business, and we're talking about transaction value of your business is about uh, at least $50 million and up. You can do a little lower, but it's usually the the, the threshold is that $50 or not. But if you built a business, $50 million, okay? Selling a business is not much different from selling a house. That you, the seller, are in the contract between you and the buyer. You are financially, personally liable to the buyer. If you sell your company, you make a, a series of disclosures, just like if you sold your house, you make a disclosures about all kinds of elements of your company. Based on those disclosures, we call them representations and warranties or reps and warranties. Based upon those, the buyer makes a decision on whether or not they're going to go forward with the transaction, and if so, how much money it is. Okay. Well, if something that the buyer and the seller don't know about uh, blow up uh, after the buyer has bought your business, it could be that there was some financial problem that you didn't know about a key client suddenly disappears. Uh, there was a, um, if you're in manufacturing, there's a big recall after of your product, just after you sold it, think um, Chipotle with uh, with the uh, contaminated chicken, uh, that kind of things where you didn't know that was coming and you bought this company, you're in a lot of financial trouble. Well, within the purchase sale agreement, the seller is liable to the buyer for, tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars years after the deal closes where the seller has zero control because they've sold and they handed over the keys they're gone and suddenly buyer a year or two later discovers oh there's a problem here and it's cost me and I'm going to hold you responsible that's built into the contract and up until now uh, there are only two ways that these disputes can be handled. Either the buyer is going to have to eat the loss or the seller is going to get a knock on the door and all of a sudden uh, whatever funds they have left in retirement or whatever get taken away by the contract from the buyer. And so the buyer is trying to keep the seller on the hook for their financial loss or the buyer's got to eat it. And it's, it's creates a lot of tension as uh uh, these deals get closed. And in some cases, they can be tense enough they derail a deal entirely. What the industry has come up with is a way where we can take that risk of the breaches of the reps and warranties, those disclosures, and we essentially bring an insurance uh, team in on a deal. They look at what the disclosures are. They look at the company that's the target of the acquisition. They look at what the disclosures are. They look at what due diligence the buyer did to confirm them. And the insurance company essentially says, okay, I'll tell you what, if something blows up, we're going to, we'll, we'll pay the loss. And it is difficult on an audio to do this. It's easier if you're visual where you see a lot of numbers, but I'll, I'll use some round numbers. Um, but let's say we have a $100 million company that's getting purchased. Uh, routinely, the seller could be liable to the buyer for up to, 30% of that hundred million. So, uh, the seller goes ahead and, and, you know, a year later could have to pay that buyer back up to $30 million if some, something terrible happens. Okay. Well, what, uh, the buyers usually do in these cases, they they'll go ahead and they'll say, look, we're going to hold you on the hook for 30 million for two or three years after the deal. And in the meantime, just to make sure so we don't have to chase you down for the full 30 we're gonna keep 10% of the money in a in a side account for a couple of years just to make sure nothing's wrong. So you're selling your hundred million dollar company when the sale goes through, you're only getting ninety million. You're not getting a hundred. You'll get that ten million provided nothing happens a year or two from now. So all of a sudden you got that ten million kind of locked away. And it's kind of under the buyer's control. It's not under the seller's control. And there are a lot of sellers out there where, you know, you don't They've got a lot of bills. They've got a lot of other things. So when they get that 90 million at closing, a lot of that money goes away. Also the tax man takes quite a bit. So that extra little bit is the difference between them having a very, very prosperous um, retirement or not. And that's locked up because the buyer just doesn't want to handle a loss. Well, if an insurance, if we come in, we go, go ahead and we'll say, you know what, for three tenths of one percent of the deal we can take away that 10 percent, and it's gone so the buyer is secure because if something bad happens the insurance policy will pay the buyer up to whatever their loss is the seller instead of getting only 90 million they get 99.6 million okay they get almost 100 percent of their money and then they're gone if something does blow up they don't have any worry because there's an insurance policy. So not only do they get that money that was otherwise held up in escrow, but they're not going to get a knock on the door a year from now saying um, something blew up, we want $30 million back. Won't happen because it's covered. When I learned about this, and again, it's difficult to do on an audio, but when I saw what this did, you know, for three four $400,000 in premium, uh, a seller got... $9 million more back from proceeds in their sale. I mean, this, this policy literally pays for itself right there. The other thing that's helpful is under the uh, scenario I have, um, you know, you may sell your company, there's a $30 million obligation out there that could hit you from out of nowhere. We've taken that away. So the peace of mind on, on removing that, uh, it is well worth it. But I, I like the, the fact that instead of having $10 million of your money tied up with the buyer for a year or two, well, now they only have to, you know, uh, keep, uh, you know, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. And, and that's a significant difference. And when I saw that, I thought, okay, here's a way where an insurance policy that, you know, literally pays for itself because you get more money at closing. Um, it is a, no viable option that didn't exist before
0: yeah it's it's really pretty amazing to uh, and, and you know because of the work that we've done together uh, you walked me through some of those numbers and it's it's really astonishing uh, the size of, of some of those escrows and it's it's uh, equally astonishing to see the, the very small Premiums that that get paid um, under the plans that that you're talking about to liberate that escrow and and deliver the cash to the person selling their business, which is you know typically what they wanted, and and whether it's the you know the the, the founder of the business or you know in some cases um, it's going to be the heirs of of a founder of a business um, who you know after the the founder maybe maybe passes away. have got to settle it. Um, it, it by liberating that cash, it gives everybody a lot more options. And, uh, and so I, you know, what I love about this is it, it really, it, it, it's one more kind of tool in, in the arsenal that, uh, that that somebody can use to, to really cash out of their business. Now on the other side of it for the buyers I mean, if you're buying a business, yes, you're going to do your due diligence. You're going to go through all of that. But you know, if your only real remedy is you've got some money in escrow and then you've got to go and and litigate likely with the the person that you bought the business from uh, down the line. uh, If, if something goes wrong, I'd much rather have an insurance company standing behind it where we've got a contract and, um, and, and they're going to have to, you know, fulfill on that, uh, that contract. Um, and, and, and this isn't going to be a personal thing with the insurance company as it would be going after the seller. I think it's yeah. a much.
1: Yeah. Let me give you a, a real quick, you know, extreme case where sure. this is what brought me in. I had a client was a physician. He owned five companies. He bundled them together and he was selling them to a healthcare conglomerate. And it was going to be this a couple of years ago. This is probably about a, a 60, $70 million deal. And um, the doctor told me, and I, we were doing his other insurance policies at the time. The doctor said, Well, great, as soon as I get my money, I'm moving back home. And home for him was Israel. When the, uh, and he had committed to taking the proceeds from his, his sale and he was going to commit it to his community in Israel. Like they were going to build settlements or something. But it, the money was virtually spent because he, he had already contributed, made all these obligations to, to his, his community back there. When the buyer the conglomerate found out that he was leaving the country with the money, they overnight changed the terms of the deal, very late in the deal, and they said, okay, we're keeping 50 million, Now nah, it's not, about, but it was about half the money. we are keeping about $35 million in escrow, and we're gonna hold it for four years. And we're going to do this, not because we're being adversarial, but you know what, if, if you leave the country and something blows up, we have no way to, you know, pursue you. There, I mean, we're, we're going to be left holding the bag. We don't want to be left holding the bag. Well, now my, now my client comes back to me and he's committed, you know, tens of millions of dollars to, to his community. And most of that is going to be held in escrow for four plus years and which is just unheard of at the time and um and he said look there's got to be something i mean I, I i can't not bring that money with me and so that's where i brought in the idea of, okay well let's see if we can insure the deal the the buyer loved the concept because hey if something does blow up now now they can collect from an insurance company in the u.s and wouldn't have to go track them down in israel and You know, my client liked it because when all was said and done, instead of $30 million being held in escrow, only half a million dollars, that was the deductible policy, was $500,000. $500,000 would be held in escrow for 18 months. He got to leave with over $30 million more than he otherwise would have if we didn't have this solution for him. Uh, The cost was... Uh, probably about five, six $600,000. So it, it, if we had told him that we can get this taken away, it'll cost you $3 million, he would have paid it. But we were able to, to solve this problem so he can go bring tens of millions of dollars more just right there. And to, to our knowledge, nothing ever blew up anyway. So, but the, but the buyer had that backstop and, and that was critical. And it was a great way to make, you know, make the deal close.
0: Yeah, and, you know, this, this isn't something that's been widely available to, um, you know, to a lot of entrepreneurs up till now, right? But it is being used by private equity firms.
1: Yeah, company private equity, uh, you know, they're routinely buying companies. Or they're, they're what I call, you know, the, the, the business, you know, they, they flip houses, you know, but they do it with companies. They buy a company add a couple things, fix it up, or combine it with other companies in their portfolio. And in two or three years, they wanna sell it for six or seven times what they bought it for. Uh, And what private equity is doing is they're buying these companies from business owners and then selling the finished product off to other other buyers down the road. Well, because of the the whole issue of the escrow, if you're a private equity firm and you sell off one of your companies, Uh, you can't pay your shareholders for a year or two because you're afraid that if something does blow up post-deal, you're going to have to claw back proceeds from your shareholders. So private equity thought, well, if we insure the deals, whatever we collect at closing, we can distribute to our our, uh, limited partners or other investors because if something does blow up, the insurance company will pay. We don't have to go and claw back from our investors. So all of a sudden, they realize they're having higher returns on their investments. And, you know, private equity is notorious for not liking to pay for insurance policies unless they absolutely have to. And the fact that they are the biggest buyers or users of this m and coverage, it's called rep and warranty coverage, the fact that they're the biggest users, you know, says volumes on the uh, applicability and um, uh, availability of this product, I mean, how it works. And so... Uh, it's, it's a product that has not been viable until three years ago. And now that is available and people in inside in the private equity world have known about it for a couple of years. Um, we're bringing it to, and this is, you know, what I, why I pivoted my firm into this is that's an opportunity because there are thousands of other, you know, tens of thousands of other businesses out there outside of private equity that are having opportunities for buying and selling. And we can bring this solution to them that the private equity people know about. And, uh, you know, they're, they're not always going to broadcast all their secrets. So this is, a, this is a tool procedure that is very, very effective and available to the, to the common man.
0: That's outstanding. And Patrick, thanks for coming on today and and sharing that. So um, we're about out of time and I've got a couple of uh, final questions for you. Um, First is, uh, and and maybe most interesting is what are you reading right now? What's, what's on the top of your reading list?
1: I'm going between two books right now. I've got one that I I just got. uh, The author is Ed O'Keefe and it's called time collapsing. And they're just, very good for, you know, getting your 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 uh not mental toughness, but just your your uh your state of mind and how to how you know a positive state of mind propels things in other ways that things get propelled. I just got a section that was fantastic where he talks about authority and celebrity. Uh most of it, you know, most of authority and celebrity in the marketplace is manufactured. And I just when that hit me eyes I great so it's uh some very great insights and the other thing is i'm i'm a native san franciscan big 49er fan and hall of fame uh quarterback steve young just came out with his memoir called uh my life behind the spiral uh and you know you don't have to be a football fan to see all the great stories he has in there in his life as uh you know the great 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 grandson of brigham young and how he goes to byu and goes from there to the usfl and you know all those things happened during my childhood. I what was interesting is when he was a quarterback at, at Brigham Young. He went on a blind date with of all people, Marie Osmond. Uh, so, um, yeah, just fun little things like that. It's uh, you know not the not the business or uh, you know uh, personal development book book reading, but that Steve Young books are a real fun, fast read.
0: That's that's great. Thanks for uh, sharing both of those. And and Ed's uh, Ed's been a guest on the podcast, and um, and I highly recommend his book. And and uh, I look forward to, to reading Steve Young's book as well. So thanks for sharing those. Um, all right, one one final question before we go. So for for business owners who've listened to this and, and they want to find out more about this type of M and a insurance so that they can liberate more cash at the sale of their business. What's the best way for them to find out more about this and, and to, to find you where, where should they go?
1: Yeah, I think the the easiest place to go to my website, you can reach out to me there. We have a, a link there for a report uh, about how, uh, private equity is using rep and warranty to stack the deck on deals in their favor and how everybody can use it uh themselves uh so i'd say go to my website which is uh www.rubicon r-u-b-i-c-o-n-m-a rubicon dot that's for mergers and acquisitions and go there there's actually a link to a um a, a video webinar where uh, I'm on a panel and we, we talk about you know the ins and outs of it and where it is today and there's a lot of that you know that core ten percent that, that we rely on in that conversation which is helpful but then uh, go ahead and you can order a report there and and from there if anybody has questions or if they want to see you know a model I guess we're, we're big in financial models but we do a model with about three bits of information that will show you a before and after on what, what something would happen with your company. So if you have a, you know, 50, 60, hundred million dollar company, we plug in a couple numbers and we can show you how much more you can get just by having this tiny policy that, oh, by the way, uh, we usually get somebody else to pay for it.
0: That's Awesome. Uh, Patrick, thanks again for investing some time with us today. Uh, this has been a really, I think, unique topic and one that's not talked about much. And I'm really glad that, uh, that you were here to bring it to us. Uh, so thanks again for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Unstoppable CEO podcast. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating on iTunes at unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes.